I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible, though, was around the campfire on the beach of the Delaware shore with my sisters, my mom and dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he, he really wasn't very personal. All that changed, though, when I was a 14-year-old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat. And I was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the Ten Commandments. Well, I had never committed adultery or I don't think I, I stole anything in a big way, but you know what? It, it didn't matter. As I measured my life up against those commandments one by one by one, oh, I, I got this overwhelming sense that I'm missing the mark. I'm not going to make it. Oh, God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend retreat. It hit me. That's why Jesus came. He was the one who kept the commandments. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, 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 I want to make it out of earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home from that weekend retreat, all fired up, all pumped, all excited. But then um, through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I'm not, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe, and it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water, and I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea 
of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me and one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile. They were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No, God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back. No, every single moment I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we were pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. Thanks, April. If you want to read more about Joni Erickson Tata, like uh, you could read, you could Google her. Uh, she wrote a few books about suffering and, and her journeys through uh, quadriplegia and also uh, breast cancer, and how she found hope in this and how she battled the temptation to just end her life.
you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, let's move on. So uh, let's uh, do a little bit of a brief of a summary of Second Corinthians. Where have we been? All right, it's chapter one. Chapter one was about introducing us, or actually to some of us, introducing, or to most of us, a reminder of three foundations that Paul leaned on in the midst of suffering. And why do I call it foundations? It's because each of us are different. Each of us are unique. We come from different lives, right? And so, but then each of, but Christians should all have the same foundations to build our comfort in God on, right? So when Paul experienced his pain, his discomfort, his anxiety, his um, emotional and nervous breakdown. What foundations did he lean on that we too have to lean on? Number one, first foundation is that he reminded himself and us that Jesus suffered and therefore he is suffering alongside with us. Some of us may be suffering. Some of us may be suffering in chronic pain. Some of us may know of loved ones who are suffering, who are in bed alone right now well as christians we're not suffering alone even though we may feel alone we have to remind ourselves that jesus is with us there because he suffers alongside with us that's foundation one foundation two god's promise is a yes to deliver us he will deliver us, whether it's delivering today, tomorrow, a week later, a year later, or even at our death. That's deliverance as well. God said yes, and he will deliver us. When Jesus said it is done on the cross, he meant it. Deliverance is available and will deliver us. God will deliver us. So Paul leaned on that and therefore reminding us to lean on that as well. Lastly, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? A deposit has been paid through de Jesus' death and resurrection. A deposit has been paid for us. And what is that deposit for? A glorious body that is awaiting us in heaven, in the heavenly footlocker, I would say. Right? This glorious body for you, each of you, uniquely made just for you, is awaiting in heaven. So that when you pass on, don't worry. That deposit is paid, and then that body is coming right at you immediately. And that's what Paul is leaning on, and that's what we lean on today, if we find ourselves in suffering. So those are the three foundations. So what are some of the problems that Paul is experiencing? We're not quite sure, but he's giving us some hints throughout each chapter. So we move on to chapter 2. Paul said that part of his suffering was due to one individual, a poop disturber, you know, a pooperator, you could say. Right? He, he was, uh, like, this individual caused a lot of ruckus and a re this caused a lot of relational breakdowns and trouble. And so, it's just, like, Paul was finding, why is this guy, like, back-talking behind my back? Why is he betraying me? I've done so much for this church, et cetera, et cetera. Remember? And then, so, what did Paul lean on then? What was one of the foundations that he leaned on? He leaned on that if Jesus suffered and Jesus is suffering alongside with me, and I know that we're all in one body, I have to remind myself that that perpetrator, that person that's actually making my suffering, causing my suffering, well, if, we, if we're suffering, he's suffering with us. That person is suffering alongside with me, and I'm suffering alongside with them. But in the same time, I have to remember that in the end, 
when joy comes, when rejoicing comes, when the glorious bodies arrive, I'm actually, there's a possibility that that person will be rejoicing with me as well in the new kingdom. So what, how does it apply to us today, Paul says. Paul is uh, trying to tell us. Well, if we have anybody in a coworker, colleague, an employee, or in an employer is uh, um, like causing us pain, a relational pain, we have to remind ourselves that, yes, this is pain, but we also have to remind ourselves that this individual may be an individual that will be in Christ who I will be suffering with, but also be rejoicing with in the end. And therefore, that is why Jesus commanded all of us to what? Forgive and forget. Because if God forgive and forget us, or forget our wrongs, then we too should forgive and forget others. For the potential of rejoicing in the end shall not be compromised. All right? Next, chapter 3. Chapter 3 was about, like, Corinthians actually took it a little bit personally now. This is the, the pain that Paul is experiencing is that the, that the Corinthians are measuring up Paul. And Paul is not measuring up to their standards. And what are these standards? It's the standards of references, reference checks. Who has, been, who has done reference checks? Or who has had reference checks? Or who had provided <laughs> reference checks, right? It's those, uh, and so the Corinthians go, oh yeah, you're so smart, you're so great, you have this authority. Well, who gave you the authority, right? Who gave you this, like, where's your references? It better be good ones that we know, right? So Paul found himself with this pain of not measuring up to the Corinthians' standards. Right? And so what, did he, so what did he say? Well, you're measuring me up with standards that is similar to the Old Testament, where in the Old Covenant, that, those Ten Commandments and everything else, you're trying to measure me up as if the Israelites are trying to measure themselves up with the Ten Commandments. Well, guess what? No one can meet those standards. Right? And hence, we are now in the New Covenant, where in Jesus, we meet that covenant. We meet those standards. It's only through Jesus and therefore, if we're Christians, why do we measure each other like that? As if we're in the old covenant. Why do we measure ourselves with reference checks when really that's really the type of behavior you would do in the old covenant? You follow? All right. Now we, so then what was the foundation that he had to lean on when people measure him? You know that pain? I'm sure all of us felt it before, especially for those who are working, is that we get measured up to a standard and, then we, and, it, and it's painful when people tell us, you're not measuring up, or, or our parents, uh, for those who are Asian, name Mo Yong, right? You know, name Mo Yong, or name name Sik Yan, type of thing, right? There's that standard that we have to meet, and, and, then, uh, um, and then we find that pain in that standard. Well, where, what foundation did Paul tap onto? What did he lean on? The seal of the Holy Spirit. He said that I'm leaning on that because the seal guarantees that there's a treasure in me. And who I am is who I have in me. Get it? Who I am is not what I do or what I am or what I look like. Who I am is who I have in me, and that is Jesus. And therefore, he actually carried that on into chapter 4. And, because, and in chapter 4 was about the Corinthians measuring up not just the skills that he had now, the Corinthians measured up on his physique, his actual physical body. Right? Now, if you don't know, if you've never seen Paul in those paintings, ancient paintings, he's actually a pretty short, shriveled up old man. Right? He's like short, he's, he's balding, he's not necessarily that great looking. He's, he's far from Brad Pitt. Okay? 
much further than Brad, even actually I should even mention his name because it's actually scorns Brad Pitt. So, but he's just not that up to par, right? He gets like the introvert. He's shy. He doesn't speak loudly. He's not bold in his public speak. He's not charismatic. When he preaches, there's no smoke coming out of the pulpit or anything. No one takes notice of him. He is what you could say a normal clay jar. You follow? And this is the chapter about the clay jar. How many of you have felt being treated like a clay jar? Right? Um, I still remember uh, just recently, one of, the, uh, one of my friends listened to our podcast that was recorded, the sermon from last week, and she said, I felt like a clay jar, and thank you for this sermon, because I am a woman who is, has a foreign accent, and then when I'm at work, everybody thinks I'm not intelligent because of my foreign accent, so my opinions don't count. When I'm in meetings, no one takes a, uh, even fathoms to hear me out because I have this foreign accent. And, so, and then she goes, but thank God that you reminded me of a foundation that I have to lean on. And what is that? The seal of the Holy Spirit again. The treasure that is in us. We are a clay jar, but what's in us? A valuable treasure. The light that created the world. The light that created the universe. The one who said, let there be light, and boom, there's light. That person, Jesus Christ, is in us. Who we are is who we have in us the treasure, Jesus Christ. And that guarantee of that new kingdom, the guarantee of a glorious body, the guarantee that we will spend eternity with God is what we have in us. No one can take that away from us. Yes, people may treat us like a clay jar. Yes, some of you may be treated as a clay jar right now, being pushed around at work, being treated like you know nothing because you're too shy, you can't speak out, you're not bold enough. Well, guess what? Who cares? Because what you have inside, who you have inside is, what you, is who you are. You're a loved one of God, child of God, Jesus' own. Do you find comfort in that? I do. Praise God for that. So now we're into chapter 5. We just watched this video about, um, about Joni Anderson Tata. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And now we, and we'll start with verses one to four. I will read. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Tent. What is this tent that Paul is referring to? Well, it's our current physical body. How do we know this? Because Paul mentions that this tent will be clothed and will no longer be naked. Paul begins with the obvious destination of our bodies. They will all come to an end and a glorious body is awaiting us in heaven, not built by human hands, i.e. not by just human conception, all right, but by God. And we know where heaven is. It's a storage locker, right? It's not our destination. It's a storage locker of where our glorious body will be and that we'll be clothed by it. So principle one out of this little small passage is for Paul, he finds comfort in God knowing that A, 
his current corrupted, imperfect body, painful body, because he's actually talking about his physical pain, this pain that he's enduring is only temporary. And thank God for that. And thank God it will end. And B, there is a glorious body waiting just for him, just for you, and just for me. And there's no blemish, no pain in that body. Perfect bodies, uniquely made for each of us. Ever wonder what a perfect you looks like? Let's give it a, like an example. Ever wonder what a perfect uh, Fritz would look like? I know, no allergies, <laughs> right? So what would a perfect Henry would be? I know, none of that kink on your shoulders anymore. You could lift 100 pounds without straining anything, right? That type of thing, right? No pain, no back pain for Katie, <laughs> right? So that type of thing. So this glorious body is awaiting for us. And that is one thing that we have to take encouragement from. Praise God for that. But how about naked? Why did he mention naked? What do you think about when we think of naked in the Bible? What is the first thing that pops into your mind for those who take Sunday school in Awana and children's Sunday school? Like when you hear naked, the first thing you probably think of is your parents naked. But you know, the second thing, <laughs> what's the next thing that you think of naked in the Bible? Right, Genesis, right? They were naked, but when they were, they, they saw each other naked, what happened before that when they, re, then they just went, oh my gee, right? <laughs> OMG, like you're naked. What happened before that? They sinned, right? So nakedness is about sin. So when Paul says this sinful body that we have, he's equating this fallen body with his physical pain and that this body, this sinful body will be clothed, just like how God clothed Adam and Eve of their sin. We too are clothed with Jesus. So Paul is being true, right? He's saying that, he's being real. He's saying that, yes, we've grown. Even though we have all these truths that, that, that we remind us of, the foundations, we do groan. How many of us right now who are in chronic pain, right? The ones that recently give birth, you're in chronic pain for sure. One that's uh, like our sleepless nights, chronic pain. One that is like uh, back problems, chronic pain. Allergies, chronic pain. How many of us are groaning right now? Thinking, oh man, I wish this is done. This is over, right? Well, Paul's being real here. He's saying, yeah, yes, we're groaning, we're groaning, but this should be in our eager exhortation of what is to come. That's why we're growing. We're eagerly awaiting what is to come with very great expectation. So, how does one find comfort in God in light of our imperfect bodies? Like, why can't God just deliver us now? Strike us dead, and then we go up to heaven, right? Um, actually, by the way, on a side point, are you ready for that? Right? Like, we always uh, sing the song, Come, Lord Jesus, Come. Are we really eagerly wanting Jesus to come now? No, wait, I got a vacation that I need to go to. You know, like, you know, are we really waiting for it? Like, eagerly waiting? Anyways, that's besides the point. That's for another sermon. Let's move on. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 to 9. Let's move on. So how do we find comfort? Like, how do we find comfort in light of this foundation, how, practically? So 5 to 9. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, look. What foundation is he leading on? The seal of the spirit. The deposit of the spirit. 
Verse 6, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Paul said something similar in Philippians. Let's read the passage together. If you could turn quickly to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 26. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this corrupted, painful body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. A lot of us do, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Very similar, right? To 2 Corinthians passage. So in both pa passages, Paul acknowledges that it is better for all of us for God to call us home right now. In fact, one of my professors once said that if you became a Christian and converted, you should be right out of, your, out of your baptism, die. You know, when you come out, die. So that you won't be tempted, you don't have to be faced with trials, you don't have to be faced with a corrupted body that you would be complaining about, no, self, no chance of being selfish, etc., etc., right? But we're not blessed with that opportunity. All of us are still here, so we still have to go through life, right? This is what he means when Paul says it is better by far. But for those of us who have loved ones that are suffering in chronic pain, cancer, MS, Alzheimer, you know, we hear our loved ones say this, though, often. What, does he, they, what do they say, especially Christian ones? Death is better than living through this. That's what they said, right? Death is better than living through this. However, Paul sees his suffering and our suffering serve a purpose. We are here with our current bodies with a goal to please him, as he says in 2 Corinthians. And for Christ, and what is that goal? For Christ to be exalted, whether by life or by death. Sure, it is better by far that we depart and be with Christ. But for now, it is more necessary for us to be here in our current bodies. For to live is Christ, and once we die, to gain and glorious bodies. So how is Christ exalted in our bodies? How is Christ exalted in our imperfect bodies? How is Christ exalted when we are in pain, especially the long-term ones, the chronic ones? How is Christ Exalted. Just like Joni Erickson Tata, courage. Her story probably encouraged all of us today, this morning. Her story of going through pain, trials, chronic pain, cancer, the temptation to just end it all and just to depart and be with God, but instead knowing full well that she has a purpose to be here, seeing her suffering, that this suffering is actually to produce exaltation to God, and providing encouragement for all of us. That's how Christ is exalted, is to courageously face and endure through our pain, through our suffering. But also, notice what she also said. It's important, therefore, that we also lean on the second foundation. And what is that second foundation? The first foundation, I mean? If Jesus suffers with us, who should also suffer with us? Our brothers and sisters the Christians, the believers, the church. If one of us suffers, 
all of us suffers with them. That's how Christ is exalted, is to show the world that no one goes out there alone in their suffering, is that we are all in this together, right? Because for, in the end, we will rejoice together. You follow? Two foundations, deposit of the Holy Spirit, suffer together. All right, so people will think that we're crazy though, right? You know, people will think that, hey, you know, um, why are you suffering so much? You know, just, just quit. Like, just get rid of it, like end it now, right? Why bother, why endure? Well, let's look at the uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 12. Paul faced the same thing too, that temptation. He, he faced the temptation of people that telling him that he's out of his mind. He goes like this, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is, is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. See, people are trying to persuade Paul. But then Paul is trying to persuade them back, saying that, no, we're not going to give up. And then people are saying, why? Why not give up, right? Paul says, no, I have a purpose here. My suffering serves a purpose, is to exalt Christ. And you are joining with me in the suffering so that Christ is exalted, right? We do not see it right now. All you see and all, I, all we see is the pain and the imperfections of our bodies, the pain, our back pain, our allergies, everything. That is what is seen, right? But that's not where we put our faith in. We pay, put our faith in what is unseen, and that's the great expectation of things to come, the holy, glorious body that's coming. And, the, and what is unseen is what we have inside, Jesus Christ, the treasure inside. And so he's, now this passage may look like, you know, wow, you mean this suffering is all about, you know, being judged? You know, like, I, like is, am I being judged by this? Blah, blah, blah. No. What Paul is saying is that in our suffering, we also have to realize that God's love far exceeds that. And why we're doing this enduring, why are we doing this uh, like putting up with and not ending it all, not escaping it, is because we're doing it because Jesus suffered for us and paid the price for us. And so it compels us, his love compels us to endure it. You follow? Like we cannot help but to do it because we're so grateful of his love for us. He endured it. Remember, he could have gave up. Right then and there in Garden of Gethsemane, remember? He said, Lord, if there is a way out, if there was plan B, by golly, tell me. Right? Because plan A is definitely not what I really want. Plan B, can you take the cup away from me? And three times God said no. But did he give up, Jesus? No, because he knew the Father's love for him. And he's compelled in light of that. So our suffering, do we go through it? Yes. Why? Not because we're macho or courageous or whatever. No, it's because A, we, our faith is on the unseen of what is the great expectation, and B, of what we're expecting and what, who we have in here, but also it's because of the love that Jesus has for us that compels us to endure. Because he endured it. Follow? All right, let's go to ne the next passage. If we are out of our mind, 
as some of us say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves before him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. So Paul just agrees with us and is falling aside with us that, hey, the world will mock us. Oh, you believe in such and such a God. Why does he allow you to suffer? Right? How many of you have heard that before? Why does God allow you to suffer like this? Why does it, why are you have cancer? Like, doesn't God love you? Right? End it all then. If he's real, how come I don't see the evidence of a miracle healing you? The world takes pride in what they see. But they don't know what they don't see. And they don't see is that of who we are already in Christ. The glorious body is awaiting for us, and what we're doing now is because we suffer alongside with Jesus, and Jesus suffers with us, and we have this great expectation at the end. Why are we doing all this? The world doesn't see that. That's, they only see what is, uh, what's, what's in front of them. A person with lots of allergies, right? That's all they see. But do they see who's inside of Pastor Fritz? No. Do, do they see why he's enduring? No because everything is awaiting for him in the end. Faith in what is unseen, right? A lot of you have memorized that verse before. I know that. This is what it means. Okay, let's move on to verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Six, chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, just to end this. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, in order to explain this part, I think it's best to just show another video, because she does it way better than I can. So, you know April. Do you know that um, I love the Lord Jesus, I love the ministry he's given us at Johnny and Friends. I, I love, in fact, what God is teaching me in this wheelchair coming up on 50 years next year. But what I don't love is the chronic pain that I deal with almost on a daily basis. Uh, to be quite honest, my pain uh, makes my quadriplegia a walk in the park. And even my battle against stage three cancer. Pain is something that can be unrelenting, endless, and it can rob you of joy and peace of mind. This past weekend, I had a particularly challenging bout with hip pain, and I almost felt as though emotionally I was gonna deflate. I was just gonna collapse in discouragement. But just then, God gave me the words to a beautiful hymn that helped center my thinking and helped focus me back on the source of grace the Lord Jesus, who was always my ever-present help in trouble. And that hymn was, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness 
of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. I love the last verse. It goes, um, um, oh, let me think. Ever lift thy face upon me as I watch and wait for thee, resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus. Earth's dark shadows flee. Sunshine of the Father's glory, brightness of the Father's face. Keep me trusting, resting ever. Thine is full of grace. And you know what? The pain did not go away. But my fear and anxiety did. And my uh, depressing thoughts did. I did not get delivered, but I encountered the deliverer. I didn't get healed this past weekend of my bout with pain, but I encountered the healer. And I hope you will as well. When you come up against a struggle this week, a challenging uh, hurdle to overcome, whether it be chronic pain, whatever, go to Jesus, your ever-present help in any trouble. Do you feel like a new creation right now with your pain? Do your friends or family who are currently uh, enduring pain, chronic pain, illness, whether it be MS cancer, or like my mom who has uh, like this no mobility from uh, any control of her body, do, they, do you feel that you're a new creation? Joni Erickson said it best, it's not about healing, is it? It's about encountering the healer. Having that encounter, that's, that encounter, that tangible presence of God far outweighs anything that, that the world expects from him, which is healing. The encounter of God, the one to know, to know that God is with us through Jesus, to know that God is suffering us all alongside with us, to know that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and a glorious body already awaits for us, to know that he's present no matter where we are or how we're feeling, or how we're not feeling as a new creation, far outweighs what the world expects is healing. Far outweighs that. And because of that, because we're compelled by his love for us, we endure. We are encouraged to endure because Jesus endured. Yes, he was faced with the temptations to give up. We too. And Jesus says, yeah, I feel you. Let me take you by the hand and let's go. Let's go right through it together. And brothers and sisters, I encourage all of us, that's why we're doing this retreat as well, to deepen our relationship with each other so that we know and understand that when one of our sisters or brothers may feel discomforted or have anxiety or have an illness, that we could come alongside with them like Jesus to be Christ-like to journey with each of us, to go side by side, whole hand in hand, to journey with each other together because we are all in one body in Christ. We will suffer together because we, by golly, we will know that we'll be rejoicing together. Amen? Amen. That's the new creation. That's the new creation today that we're living in. Let's pray.